Hey beautiful teachers, I'm Nicola Canton from Vibrant Music Teaching. Welcome to the show that's about you. This podcast gives you a sneak peek into the lives and businesses of private music studio teachers so that you can share in their successes, learn from their mistakes and feel part of a global community that's dedicated to sharing music with others. Today we're going to visit with Teresa Petrusma in Ontario, Canada. I had the pleasure of meeting Teresa in person when I was in Canada a few years ago and she is a ray of sunshine personified. I know you'll love this chat and that it will bring joy to your day as it did mine. So let's unwrap it. Welcome to the show, Teresa. It's so great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. So we like to start with a little game here uh, called Two Truths and a Lie. So can you tell me two things that are not true about yourself and one thing that is true, and I'll try to guess which one is the true one. Okay. Uh, I enjoy making new recipes in the kitchen with my husband. I've traveled to Europe three times, and I was part of a swim team as a child. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to say... That you were part of a swim team. I'm not sure about the decision at all. Which one is true? <laughs> I actually uh, have <clears throat> been to Europe three times, but only as a child, uh, since my grandparents came from the Netherlands. And uh, my family traveled there. Uh, well, my mother introduced us to her whole family when I was age four. <laughs> and... Visited just a few times, yes. Oh, wow. Okay. But you've never been as an adult. That's correct. Well, you'll have to come back sometime. And this time come down and not the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, that's right, eh? <laughs> Wouldn't be lovely. <laughs> nice. Okay, so that's a little bit about you. Oh, by the way, does your husband not like cooking with you in the kitchen? Is that why that was one of your lies? Oh, he- or? <laughs> I, just, I just much prefer to do piano planning and all of that he graciously is uh doing more cooking now that i'm uh, uh he's retired and i'm taking on more students <laughs> okay nice over so the he's summer the hours, so it's it all good it works well <laughs> mm, sounds great Okay, so we'd like to get to know a bit more about your you as a teacher as well so i want you to imagine that you have A poster space, doesn't matter if you'd really need to advertise yourself or not, but imagine there's a poster that's going to represent you as a teacher. And it's already set in terms of the image, and it's already going to have like the school information on it. What three words would you put on it to describe you as a teacher? Well, I have used two words in my pamphlets and different things I have done. So why don't I just say uh, music joy? Music joy. And why in particular do you choose the word joy? I really like to unwrap this beautiful gift of music with children. And uh, probably young children is is, um, a particular joy of mine. And they exude happiness with music. And that's what I love to inspire and to unwrap. I, I love the joy part. And uh, that, I mean, that's where also BMT comes in, just 
all the different uh, encouragement I've received, both in in uh, the courses as well as the games, to uh, to allow students to have that joy of music and not just oh, this is what I have to do and have to practice. So that's beautiful, beautiful that you're. I love the word unwrapping as well, unwrapping the joy. That's fantastic. So what was your own musical upbringing then like, Teresa? Did you take lessons from a young age? What were the lessons like? What was your experience? Well, my mother was the one to really encourage me uh, to have lessons. Her, uh, her own experience was cut short by the war that she had experienced as a child in Europe in the 40s. and. Uh, so when I was eight years old, even though we lived on a, a farm and just in a very frugal community, um, my taking lessons seemed quite luxurious, I guess you could say, or, or people not understanding what was so important about that, uh, but that didn't matter to her. And she found a, um, a I, I'm not sure if she was a teenager uh, or a young adult, and uh, because I, I actually got off the bus at her place since we lived in the country and uh, had my lesson and then would be picked up from there. And when she moved away from her home and got married, then there was only three students that she took with her and I was one of them. Hmm. So I remember her, yeah, I remember her as being a kind person and just really encouraging me. Uh, and I just loved going to lessons. Uh, but I also think that I was that type of student that could read well <laughs> and and learn and apply what I was reading in the books uh, and therefore it was continued to be encouraged. That's lovely that you had that experience. How long did you take lessons from her? Oh, I, so I went through the Royal Conservatory exams or the, the program. And I would say I took from her right through till about grade five at the time. It's now called levels. Um, and then the only teacher in our local town, um, of course, was full. She didn't have room for me. And uh, the city was too far for my family to commit to. So I took lessons from another teenager uh, for two years, doing the level six and seven, and then when she went off to university, I could take her place with this this uh, teacher in town. So it uh, it was a process, but um, my my mother in particular was very committed to yeah. encouraging that in my life. And yes. did her commitment to bring you to lessons rub off into your practice? Were you a very committed student? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, she made sure that after supper, I did not do dishes. I had to practice. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, she set the time and the uh, the system in place so that I would practice. And when my first teacher moved away and I thought, oh, I don't really want to continue. She was the one to make sure to find another teacher and to uh, yeah, can allow me to continue because I think she knew that I really loved it and she loved it that I was able to do this as well. So she had so a huge wonderful. impact in, in this, not even realizing how much of a, a lifelong impact it gave also in my, my career. 
Yes. Little did she know what it would lead to, but she obviously thought it was valuable no matter what. Is there anything you think um, you would have preferred were done differently in your lessons or was included that you feel was left out? Um, I, I really wouldn't say that. Um, my teachers were very good and uh, followed the Royal Conservatory, which of course was the reading method at the time. And I did some of the exams. Um, but she also made sure that I understood courting and that was not so usual in the seventies. So when I look back, uh, I'm very appreciative of that foundation that she was able to give me that not many people necessarily did get in the seventies. So the only thing that I wish I would have known more was the circle of fifths and being able to, to play, you know, in six flats and five flats and five sharps and whatnot that took me a while to get really comfortable but hey that's just the way it was then that's yeah fine. and it's great that you had that experience with learning chords and being able to go off book at least a little bit um in a time when that was that's even right. less common than it is now right it's still not as common as we feel it should be maybe but yeah no that's very true well i was also the um pianist at our church um, at, at age 14 on uh, because the minister didn't want to do both and as well as the accompanist of uh, my school choir and so some of those courting skills were then taken by me and just being I had place to apply it and to learn from it so so yes I was very appreciative of that wow that's wonderful so from there, when and how did you get into teaching yourself? Well, I started teaching as a teenager because, of course, I, I was playing uh, in my church and uh, at my school, and uh, people knew that. And so I started uh, probably at age 16, and you know how it was. You just taught the way you were taught, and uh, uh, you had a few students in, in high school. Uh, so then I did go on to university for uh, music education, but not teach piano at all through those years. And uh, my early years of teaching classroom, I was the music teacher, but had a classroom uh, as well. I didn't teach on the side, only as classroom music. Uh, and it was until we, uh, my husband and I started our family that we decided I would really like to get back to teaching piano because I could stay home and, uh, and it would be my own business, so to speak. And we could work, work that business around family life. And that's what's happened all these years. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic that it fit in with family. Did you miss the classroom at all when you left? Uh, at the time, I think I was so busy with the kids and, and, uh, and really enjoying my piano teaching. Um, I always had that desire to actually do more music class teaching, which I, again, I was able to do in the early 2000s. I was able to, uh, we moved to a community that and the, school, the local school there needed a music teacher. And slowly but surely I did teach uh, K through eight music for a few years. So, but then I did some uh, team teaching in the classroom for kindergarten 
I did piano teaching at the school where I also was taking students from their classes and teaching them piano and, and the part-time music. Um, and then as another phase of life where parent care was needed, then I let the classroom music go and the scheduling that I could control. And I was back to my own uh, music studio again. And I just really love what I've been able to do with an individual music studio, especially revamping it after uh, understanding BMT games and incorporating that. It's, it's been really uh, enjoyable to revamp myself and to become a better teacher. Yeah, well, I'm thankful we've been some some part of the latest phase of your teaching. Um, it's gone through many different phases, I can tell. So um, can you tell me about a time, Teresa, that a student, particular student, changed something about the way you teach or the way you do business or something else about lessons? I think one, one of the uh, school jobs that I had I had a six-year-old, which was very unusual for me at that time. Mostly they were eight and older. And she was not practicing at all. <laughs> and so I asked the parents, I said, are your goals being met? Thinking that this child is just coming, for, coming to me for a half hour each week. And are they, quote unquote, in my mind, are they really getting their money's worth? And their answer surprised me. They said, um, our daughter just loves to be with you and loves the music. And uh, yes, our goals are being met. And I thought, is it my goals that I'm giving for students or is it the parent goals that, I, that I'm serving? And I think that really changed a little bit of how I started teaching, uh, just making sure that my teaching is following the goals of parents and my encouragement to the, the particular child. So if a child uh, is very oral and wants to play by ear, that I will really focus on that as opposed to the reading. Or if a child is very disciplined and very much wanting to learn to read and to follow a, a disciplined approach, then I might use a Royal Conservatory so that student and family really helped me realize that I'm there to serve the parents and not to serve my own thinking about what it should be. Yeah, and that's a wonderful lesson. I think if it were me going into that conversation, I can see myself saying that and expecting that the next thing I get to say is, okay, well, the reason your goals aren't being met is because you're not helping her practice. Like you were kind of setting yourself <laughs> up for a chat and then they said, yes, they are. And it's then turning back on yourself and saying, okay, so it's my goals. Do I need to readjust those? Yeah. Well, and how can I best serve this child to learn music and to have, again, music joy? So. Yeah, absolutely. And that can be done even without practice as much as many teachers don't want to see it that way all the time. That's right. And in my uh, capacity of having many students at the school, and it is an opportunity that parents are, are able to choose for their kids. There are more of my students who do not practice. And there are a variety of goals that parents have or that they practice a little bit or that they uh, have a particular goal in mind 
for their child that isn't even necessarily uh, music-minded. So just in terms of their development as, as a learner and what that looks like and how music can help with that. And you're not alone in that. I mean, our recent report, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but we asked about practice levels. And a huge portion of teachers said their, teacher, their students are practicing less than 30 minutes a week. A week. And we're still citing this 30 minutes a day thing. And it's like, yes, some people could do that and that's great. But we need to provide experiences that make sense for people's levels of commitment, maybe. So um, that's something you very much took on board and learned from. Can you tell me about a time that you made a mistake? Perhaps something where you weren't listening so well or something else that happened in your teaching that you wish you could change? Well, I think ideas always change over the years and, and uh, there are always new ways of doing things. So I, I don't know if I would really call them mistakes or more learning, learning opportunities that I've had along the way. Uh, probably teaching children to practice just probably over the years, kind of assuming that uh, parents would want lessons and they would want to set up their schedules at home to practice uh, and realizing that, that that's not realistic and some people don't even have a background as to what that's all about. And, uh, and me not really taking that on as uh, my responsibility, just thinking that that's a parental responsibility that I didn't really have a lot of impact on that. But uh, again, through the VMT, uh, different ideas that come across and just, and even uh, I, uh, just the different options that I can make the little cards that you have uh, designed, you know, those are all helpful to me <laughs> to uh, encourage children to practice just different ways of practicing. So I'm taking that on much more. Oh, that's great. So if you could turn back time and talk to your possibly 16-year-old, same age I started, by the way, 16-year-old teacher oh, self, <laughs> what would you say to yourself? <laughs> what advice could you give that young teacher? Oh, I would really encourage on the bench, off the bench teaching for young students and, and, uh, and really kind of come at the concepts in a variety of ways, not just this is on the book and this is what we're going to do and we're going to turn the page to the next song and this is we're going to what you're learning and explain it to them, but uh, really have them experience uh, the musical concept side of things. Absolutely, that's great advice. So is there anything you think people outside our industry misunderstand about what it is that we do as music teachers or private music teachers? Misunderstand. I, th I think they'd probably misunderstand if they've had an experience that hasn't been helped or that they look on fondly. Uh, I've had several interviews lately of um, parents that come and I always start by asking what they're experiences and how why they would like their children to have music and um the the negative comes out w from their own experiences and so uh i think probably there are many people who don't realize how um, piano teaching has changed and well from 
hopefully for most teachers, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that there is a, a, a different focus and that we can serve each child individually uh, in a way that they, they learn. So to help them unwrap, again, that gift of music in that child. Uh, I don't know that people really understand that portion of it. Yeah, and maybe don't understand how much joy you could bring um, if they've had that (laughs) not-so-great experience themselves. So, yeah, it's a big one. Finally then, Teresa, I want you to imagine a teacher out there who's in their home studio, they're teaching away, but they're feeling really uncertain about what it is that they're doing, whether they're getting it right, whether they're running their business right, whether they're including the right things in their lessons or teaching the right pieces or their students are going fast enough, whatever it is, they're feeling like they don't know if they're living up to what they should be. What would you tell them? What advice could you give that uncertain teacher? Well, I would say that I certainly was that uncertain teacher (laughs) over some of the years I was teaching. Um, And I'd say, uh, love the child love your music and uh and it will come it will you do do your best and change one thing at a time and and uh uh you're doing your job absolutely love the child love the music and keep going that's a wonderful note to finish on thank you so much teresa oh you're welcome thank you for having me thanks for listening Do you love this show? Then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com.